Thank you so much, Eric and Bridget. Appreciate that very much. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9 this morning. Mark chapter 9. You could find your way there with me. Trust you've had a good week. I have a number of folks that have been sick and dealing with various things, keep each other in prayer as we, as we do. Mark chapter 9 this morning, we're going to be talking this morning about serious discipleship. As Eric just saying, our hearts are prone to wander. And I trust your heart resonated with that as he sang. I hope you're thinking about those words. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The God that I know loves me, uh, but yet my heart is prone to wander. My, my prayer is that each of us will be challenged this morning as we consider this, this topic. Of course, the outline can be found if you were, if you were fortunate enough to get a bulletin this morning. <laughs> apologize about that, but uh, you can find it in your bulletin, the outline. might be helpful in following along <clears throat> as we look. We'll look at our text here in a moment. We read it already for our um, responsive reading. We'll be looking at verses 42 through 50. When I was in uh, middle school, probably, somewhere, somewhere in there, uh, probably 7th through ninth grade somewhere, we had a, uh, a, a bus driver, and she was awesome. We had a wonderful bus driver, and uh, we, we, there was, uh, we went, I went to a small school at our church, and, uh, but for some reason they allowed for one of the city or county bus drivers, I guess, to be responsible for picking us up, which was pretty cool. We lived a little bit away, so it was nice that they came and got us, and, and we were, you know, so we rode the bus to school, and her name was Judy. She was the first bus driver we ever had, and she was very sweet, sweet lady, older lady. Of course, everybody at that age, everybody, you think everybody's old. Uh, she was probably my age now. Um, <laughs> Very sweet lady, uh, but really, really nice. Very la- laid back, an excellent driver. Uh, really a great, great, great lady. And um, I don't know exactly what what happened to her, um, but after I don't know, we had her for a few years, and then we had a new bus driver, and probably a new year, I guess, we had a new a new bus driver. And uh, we'll, let's call her the Culpinator. Okay, does that work for everybody? The Culpinator. Uh, we'll call her that because her name was Mrs. Culp, and uh, we referred to her either as Car- Colonel Culp or the Culpinator. And um, you'll see, you'll understand why in just a, mo- a moment here. Um, and she was a little different. She was a little different than Judy. Um, you probably all had a bus driver like this at, at some point, but she was, um, she was the stuff of legends in ancient bus driver lore, okay? Um, we still talk about her to this day. Uh, she had a very fiery personality. She had a bit of a quick temper, uh, and she was no nonsense. Uh, to give one example, she uh, one time kept our, we, our, our pastor's son. Uh, she, she said, you know, at the, when, we, when they stopped, she said, uh, you, Andrew, you need to stay on the bus. I need to talk to you. And she kept him after. And the reason was because uh, he had walked onto the, the bus. Mind you, this is a school bus. Okay, He had walked onto the bus with, holding a pencil. That's, I mean, that's dramatic, right? I mean, that's pretty serious. He's holding a, a, a pencil uh, as he walks onto the bus, and she tells him, Andrew, don't you know that you could be impaled by that pencil? 
Do you know what it means to be impaled, Andrew? Uh, now, Andrew was in first grade, maybe, first or second grade, okay? Um, she was always watching. She had that mirror. You know the mirror that they always had, that big, long mirror? I don't know. They, they probably still have that on buses, but, but I don't know how she ever was watching the road, because she always was watching us. I mean, it, her eye, you, every time you looked at that mirror, her eyes were looking at you. It's like she knew. She's right there with you. She, always, she had eyes going this way and going that way. Um, and believe me, if she saw you back there horsing around, getting out of your seat, standing up, even having any kind of a good time at all, really, <laughs> she was going to let you know. She didn't like it. She didn't want to have any, there was no, no fun on her bus. She, she, you know those signs, you know, they, no, no smoking, no drinking, no uh, whatever, I don't know. Chewing gum, right? That's a big, and she added no impaling, right? <laughs> I made that part up, okay. Um, but you might be having a good old time back there, and, and she starts letting you know, hey, it's time to get serious. And you got serious really fast with Colonel Culp, Okay. You didn't mess around with her. Why? Well, because she was serious. She was very serious. And to make perhaps a little bit of a leap from that to our text this morning, I wonder for you, certainly there are times that we can have fun. But how serious are you? And you might think, Pastor, you're probably the last person should be talking about being serious, okay? And that might be fair. But how serious are you about your Christian walk? How serious are you about discipleship? How serious are you about following Christ, about walking with the Lord, about, about, get, about re- removing sin from your heart and life? Jesus here in our text this morning is, is giving us a call for what I, what I think is serious discipleship. And see, the thing is, I fear that for many Christians today, we are, are like us on the bus, right? That we're, we're not, we're, hey, we're having a good time. We're fine. Everything's good. We're going along, living our life, doing our thing. Do the church thing on Sunday. Hey, no problem. But, but we're not very serious. We're not taking things too seriously. We're, we're, we're not counting the cost of discipleship because our discipleship isn't really costing us anything. I wonder this morning if your discipleship is costing you anything. And if it's not, is it, is it really true discipleship? I mean, based on this text and what we see here this morning, I, I think it can safely be said that it ought to be costing us something. Discipleship isn't a game. Following Christ is not a game. It's a, it's a, it's a serious commitment. Because he's talking in very serious terms. We'll, we'll see first here this morning that, that serious discipleship means taking sin seriously. Look at verse 42. Jesus says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That sounds pretty serious to me. The seriousness of causing others to sin. You know, death by drowning would have been something very familiar to the Jewish mind. This type of penalty, Jesus says, is due to the person who causes someone else to fall into sin. This large millstone that, that would have been tied around someone's, or hung around his neck, he says, and you were thrown into the, cast, in, into the midst of the sea. 
drowning. I mean, that, that's, that's very serious. And Jesus says, it would be better if that's what happened. It would be better if, for if, you, if you cause one of these little ones, look back at verse 37 for a second with me. Whoever receives one of these little children, same idea here. We said this last time, whoever receives the little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not only me, but also him who sent me. And Jesus referring to little children, and then in verse 41, he says, whoever gives a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. He says, if you do good in my name, if you give a cup of cold water, hey, that's a good thing, right? I mean, that's, that's serving others, serving the little ones, perhaps, as we talked about last time. Serving in my name, you will receive your reward. But guess what? Verse 42, the opposite is also true. And that's the kind of the lead into our text here this morning. Not only will you receive your just reward for the good that you have done, you will also receive just reward for the bad. Even to just one of these little ones, he says. If you cause one of these little ones to stumble in the parallel passage in Matthew 18, Jesus pronounces woe. He says, woe to the world, warning because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. He says it's very serious to cause someone else to sin. And hopefully you're thinking, I, I certainly don't want to be guilty of, of doing that, of causing someone, the idea of causing someone to stumble, causing to fall into sin is, is leading others astray. You know, every year we have um, this youth event, we just had it a few weeks ago, Alcatraz. And uh, it's a, if you don't know, it's a cardboard box maze that we build over in the 300 building, or the education building where you had Sunday school this morning, uh, most of you. And um, we build this cardboard box maze. And every year, we have a couple of teens that help build that, that maze throughout the week. You know, we start on Monday and we build all week. And so come Friday, when the event happens, we have all these teens come. And, um, but usually, somewhere, in the maze, on the night of the event, one of those teens... This has happened multiple times, so I'm not picking on any one individual. But usually one of the teens who helps during the week will be somewhere in that maze. And what are they doing while they're in the maze? Come this way. Follow me. I'll show you the way out. Or perhaps, now, are they showing them the right way? No, no, you, you know that, okay? Uh, or perhaps they're sitting by the right way and saying, no, 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 you need to turn around Go the other way. That's what we're talking about, right? That, that's the idea. Leading others astray. How does this happen in real life? And one, one commentator defined it this way. He said, enticing or provoking a disciple to turn away from Jesus. I mean, Jesus is talking about little ones in the context of this passage. He's talking about, about yes, yeah, certainly children, but I, I believe it would be broader than that. Perhaps uh, new believers, people who are young in their faith, certainly children as well, immature believers, causing them to stumble, enticing them, provoking them to turn away from, from Jesus. Uh, you know, just a couple of thoughts on this, and, and, and you may be thinking of other things, but one, intention, one unintentional way would be, I think, teaching bad theology, right? I mean, we as, as parents, certainly with our own children, as teachers, James talks about the fact that teachers are responsible for what they teach. 
They will be liable to a greater judgment. Those of us that teach and teach Sunday school and preach, we, we, I mean, that is a very serious warning that we're not leading others astray. We're not failing to teach our, our children the right things about God. Or even worse, leaving our children's training completely up to the church. I mean, that's a responsibility that we have, that as parents we are called to do that. Perhaps unintentional, or perhaps intentionally, certainly misleading others. Like uh, it, again, is an obligation that we carry. But perhaps misleading, like like I think of like televangelists today, right? People, people that are teaching false truths, faith healers who who prey on on weak people, on immature believers would would definitely, certainly fall in this category. Again, obviously, everyone is responsible for their own sin. But there is clearly an obligation on each of us that Jesus is saying that we need to take very seriously. That we ought not to be a stumbling block to those around us. That we ought not be responsible for someone else falling into sin. And it's to the point of our, our own responsibility for our own sin that Jesus turns next. Not only the seriousness of other people's sin in verse 42, but in verses 43, 43 through 48, the seriousness of our own sin. Do we take our own sin seriously? What I do. Look at verse 43 with me. If your hand causes you to sin, what are you supposed to do? What does he say? Cut it off. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell. Into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That's a quote from Isaiah chapter 66, verse 24. Verse 45, he says the same thing about your hand. Okay, so the things that I do, my actions, things that I do with my hand, and then the same thing about your foot as well, where I go. The places that I go, like physical locations that my feet take me. He says, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. He says, and, and, and in the same case, in verse 47, he gives the same thing for your eye. What I, what I focus on, what do I think about? If, 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 you're, if you're, according to verse 44 or 43, if your hand causes you to sin, 45, if your foot causes you to sin, 47, if your eye causes you to sin, then what are we called to do? Some pretty drastic stuff. Some pretty drastic measures that Jesus is calling us to. So Jesus says if, if your hand is, is doing things that it's not supposed to do, if your actions, if, you're, if it's leading you into sin, then, then cut it off. But why does he say that? And I think we miss this, right? And I, I'm not saying that this is not a valid application, because I think it is. I, I, and I, I'm going to apply it in this way. We, we, we refer to radical amputation. In, counseling, in the counseling world, we call it radical amputation. We say, if, if, if there is something in your life that is causing you to fall into sin, then you need to take radical action against that. Then, then you might need to do something that seems a little bit crazy. Right? And we, we use that as, as we, we apply this text in that way. And I, I believe that that is a valid application. But, but that's not, the, I, no, I don't think that necessarily the first application that we ought to be making here. Why? Look at it again. Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than to, with, with, with two hands to enter into what? So things just got a whole lot more serious, right? 
I mean, Jesus is talking to the disciples here. Now, primarily, yes, he is speaking to believing people. But, but he is, he's making some very, very serious statements here. I mean, he says it would be better for you to go with one hand into eternal life than to go with two hands into hell. He's not talking about, you know, just, just getting rid of sin. He is talking about the seriousness of your soul. The word for hell there, you, you, you may know, is, is Gehenna. It's the reference to the, the valley of, of Hinnom, which is outside of the gates of Jerusalem, where back in the Old Testament, prior to King Josiah, child sacrifice had actually been, had been practiced in this valley outside of Jerusalem. Now, at this, by this point, this would have been a place of, of garbage. This would have been a place of, of refuse. This would have been an undesirable place, a place that nobody would have wanted to go, where there was constantly a fire burning and, and, and undesirable, uh, undesirables would, would reside nearby. And, and perhaps those that, that were not, that no one could afford to bury, would have been ca- their, their corpses would have been cast into this valley of Hinnom, and it was just constantly burning. Not, not a pleasant idea at all right? Especially not into our 21st century American mind. But that is the word that he is using, and it would have been very clear to the disciples that Jesus was referring to hell. He doesn't just use a place for the realm. There's a, there's a different word that he could use for the realm of the dead, Hades. This is Gehenna. He is talking about where there is actual fire, an unpleasant place, and it's a clear illusion and symbol of eternal punishment. And he says it would be better for you to cut off your hand or your eye, poke out your eye, cut off your foot, than to go there. He says about the, the, the things that you do, the places you go, the things that you, that you focus on and think, and, and I don't know if I need to help you in, 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 in thinking through, okay, what, what kinds of sin might he be talking about in, in, with, with, the, with the, uh, the eyes, right? But Matthew chapter 5, just to help a little bit here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus here again speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you, than that, for, for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. He says the exact same thing, exact same idea. So you might be wondering, what is the point? I mean, are we doing free hand and foot removal after the service here this morning? No, unless you really want to. I know some of you, what you carry in your cars, so. Um, no, Jesus is obviously not saying that. He's using hyperbole. He's exaggerating for effect. Obviously, we are not advocating for actual removal of, of hands and feet and eyes. But, 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 but the point that Jesus is making is that your sin is serious. My sin is serious. We're, we're pretty good at taking other people's sin seriously. Man, it's so easy today. 
right? I mean, we see it everywhere. Everywhere you look, you can't turn on the news, you can't look on social media, you can't look anywhere without seeing sin. It's just sin. And everybody can say, yes, amen, we, we, we despise the world, we despise the, the sin of the world, we, want, we get all up in arms about it. But folks, Jesus, Jesus isn't talking about other people's sin. He's talking about my sin. He's talking about your sin. He's talking about the sin that's actually residing, that, that we commit. That's the sin he's talking about. And he's saying, you better take it seriously. This is a very strong warning here that he gives to believers. I would say this. The implication... I think that Jesus is giving here is that if you are not willing to take drastic steps to remove sin from your life, then then you need to question whether or not you are in Christ. Are you willing to take those steps? Or is this just kind of a thing you do? Hey, it's good on Sunday, but the rest of the week I kind of do my own thing. Nobody at church knows about the stuff that I do the rest of the week. It's not that really that big of a deal. Or are you passionate about removing sin from your life? Are you passionate about your walk with God? Are you serious about discipleship? That's the question that we've got to ask ourselves. So being a serious follower of Christ means taking your own sin and the sin of others, perhaps causing someone else to sin, taking that seriously, but it's also going to mean serious sacrifice. There is going to be sacrifice involved. Look at verse 49. For everyone will be seasoned, with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. You see first the salt of sacrifice. This is a very interesting uh, passage. This, this phrase, everyone will be seasoned with fire. There, there is, uh, if you look at five different commentaries, five different explanations for what that means, and, and one, one guy said uh, it, it, there's about 15 different ways you could explain it. So, number one. No, we're, we're not going to go through all 15, okay? Um, I think there's a pretty easy way of understanding this, this passage. First of all, and I'll just mention this, if you're reading a modern translation like the ESV or NIV or something, you probably don't have the rest of that verse, okay? He says, salt uh, for everyone will be seasoned with, fi- with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. And it's very likely that, and that's a, that's a reference to Leviticus chapter 2, the, 2 verse 13. It's, a, it's okay. It's not a problem that it's there. It's, it's a reference to the fact that Old Testament sacrifices were salted with, were, were seasoned with salt. And it seems that, that, that the earliest and best manuscripts don't include that. It seems that somebody uh, along the way added that as like a clarification of, the, of, okay, this is kind of the, the best way of understanding this, if you can say it that way. For everyone will be seasoned with fire. Every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. It's interesting. Mark, he's, he's kind of making some, some jumps here. Um, he's, he's in verse 48, he ends with this quote from Isaiah 66, 24, their worm does not die. The fire is not quenched again, referencing hell. And from fire, he goes to everyone will be seasoned with fire in verse 49. Okay. So now we're talking about something different. We're talking about a, a, a sacrifice, right? The, the, the sacrifice, uh, of the sacrifices of the old Testament. And, and I think for us, our own lives, and we'll get to in just a moment. And then he kind of, he says, every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. And he jumps from the salt, the salt of the sacrifice, to a different kind of salt in verse 50. Look at verse 50. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. So in verse 49, he's talking about a, a salt of sacrifice, 
a salt of that that is that is part of a fire, right? That was a, that was put on the altar as a sacrifice to Yahweh in the Old Testament. Um, and, and, I mean, a good thing, but, but not necessarily the application for us, right? Because the salt of sacrifice for us is affliction, is, is trial, it's difficulty, as we'll talk about. And then he makes a jump from, to a different kind of salt, and, and the salt that, that we are called to be. So I just wanted to point that out. As we go, as we, he's going from fire to fire, then from fire he goes to salt, and then salt to a different kind of salt. And I think you can't really read verse 49 and 50 and think, uh, and, and again, there's a lot of different ways of interpreting this passage, but I, in my own personal uh, interpretation, I, I don't think you can really read it in verse 49, see the salt of verse 49, and think he's talking about the same kind of salt in verse 50. So I, I hope that makes sense. That may have been way too much information, but um, the salt of sacrifice. Everyone will be seasoned with fire. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. Again, this, this really is a, almost a quote, the second part of the verse there. Every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all of your offerings you shall offer salt. Why would salt be necessary for an offering? What does salt do? It enhances, right? It, it, it gives flavor. It, it makes it a little bit better. It's a pleasing thing. Now, this kind of salt is what the salt that we're talking about, the salt of, of sacrifice. So, so this, this kind of salt would have been put on the altar as an offering to the Lord. And I, I think the best explanation of looking at this is when he says everyone will be seasoned with fire, that seasoning, that salting, that, that we are the ones as believers today. We are the ones that will be required to lay our lives on the altar. He says it's going to happen. You're, you're going to be seasoned. And, and Paul agrees with what, with what I think Mark seems to be saying here in, in verses that we're familiar with, Romans chapter 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, right? And, and we're familiar with that. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And Peter says a lot about this as well in 1 Peter chapter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by what? Fire may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ and later in chapter 4. Beloved, do not think it a strange thing. I love this. Concerning the fire. I mean, well, we, 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 we get into these, um, you know, these trials, and we're in the midst of a trial, a difficulty. Many of you are, uh, are in the midst of a difficulty and trial right now. And, and we think, now why does this have to happen? Nobody else has to deal with this. Right? And Peter says, don't think it's a strange thing that you have trials and affliction and difficulty. The, sh- the fiery trial, which is to try you as though, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. He says, as James does, as we heard last week, that, uh, to rejoice in the midst of that fiery trial. So we have the salt of sacrifice in verse 49, it's going to cost you something. Um, following Christ is a daily surrender of my will to his will. Um, 
It's a call to, to surrender my goals for his goals, my thoughts for his thoughts. We're called to be a, a living sacrifice, and we're also called to be the salt of the world. And it's interesting, again, in verse 49, the salt, like humanly speaking, is kind of a bad thing. And then verse 50, it's kind of a good thing, different kind of salt. Salt is, is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves. We are called to be the salt of the world and live at peace with one another, he says. He says salt is good. It's the kind of thing, like you, we ought to be salt. Matthew chapter 5, we read it this morning, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. He says, you are called to be salt. You are called to preserve. You are called to enhance. You are called to... How do we preserve the world, folks? We've got to give them the gospel. That We have to give them the truth. That is how we are called. We are called to be salt and preservers. And he goes on in that same passage. He says, you are a light. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp saying it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. As we, as we just kind of wrap this up tonight, just this morning, I have just a couple of quick application questions for you. Number one, as we've already said, do you take sin seriously? How serious are you about your sin? Every second of every day, there are people dying and going to hell for sin. That's the only reason. Dr. Bob, when, we, when I was in school, he uh, would often say and have us quote, the most sobering reality in the world today is that people are dying and going to hell today. They're going to hell because of sin. Yet we often dismiss it. We laugh at it even. It's that sin that, that put Christ on the, on the cross. Don't brush off sin. Don't think it's, it's, it's no big deal. Certainly not with your own sin. Secondly, where do you need to practice radical amputation? I don't have to name specific sins this morning because you already know what they are. You know, what are some radical, extraordinary steps that God might be calling you to take to eradicate sin, remove that sin from your life? It might be something like kind of crazy, but, if, it, but if, it, if it's what God needs to use to get that sin and remove it from your life, is it a relationship that needs to be cut off? Is it a device or a subscription or something? Like take that radical step. Third, have you lost your salt? Are you just kind of existing, just kind of going along? just blending in with this lost and dying world around us. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Like, really? Like, actually had a gospel conversation with a lost person? When was the last time that happened? Do you remember when the last time that was? Are you actively preserving this lost world around you? And then last, what are you sacrificing for Christ? This is a call to, to, to serious like actually costing us discipleship that Jesus is giving us here. All of us are, are called to, to do more than just come to church and sit here on a Sunday morning, right? I mean, that's, that's worship, right? We're called to evangelism, worship, ministry, 
discipleship, fellowship. Some of us, we've got the worship and the fellowship down real good. No problem. I'm not done. Hold on. But, but just coming here and sitting on a, on a Sunday morning, like what, what, what is it actually costing you to follow Christ? It doesn't cost you anything to come here and sit on a Sunday morning. But, but ministry, serving, evangelizing the lost, being salt in this lost and dying world, that might cost you something. What are you giving up for Christ? Are you taking your relationship with Christ seriously? You know, when I was um, probably around that same time as this cult, the bus thing, um, I had a had a thing that happened at school on an afternoon. We we had a uh, we had these flag poles that we had at the school, and uh, every day, as long as the weather was okay, we would go out. And there was all we were always assigned. You know, a pair of us would go out and um, and go and put up the flags in the morning and take them down in the afternoon. That was just that's what we did. A lot of schools did that, I'm sure. Um, it's a good thing, good thing to learn, good thing to be responsible for, learn flag, flag etiquette and all that kind of stuff. And um, one afternoon, I was my turn and, and one of the other guys, I don't remember who it was, but we decided that after we got the flags down and folded them up and everything, we decided we were going to have a little fun and that we were going to race. And the way the church was, I mean, the flagpoles were out front. The main entrance was on the backside of the church. And there was a secondary entrance you can go in. And so uh, the race was, he was going to go around the backside of the, of the building and go around to the front. And I was going to go through the building, drop the flags off and, and where they belonged. And uh, we were going to see who could get out front the best. Probably silly thing. He was definitely going to win. Um, but the flags, again, they were, they were out by the road. So we had a little bit of distance to go. And, and so... Um, you know, we, we set off, and, and we ran, and he ran around the building, and uh, I ran through the building. I'm tearing through the building, you know, and, and we had these um, wooden cubbies that all of our, we kept all our stuff in, and that was where the flags went. And so I ran through there, and I tossed the flags up on the cubby and, and, and ran through. But as I was leaving and going to go up the stairs and see if I could make it before him, uh, I heard something that was not good, and it was a thump. And if you can guess, uh, I threw those flags up there on the cubbies. And I was very careless with those flags, and they fell. And of course, one of the flags was an American flag. And so we had been taught flag etiquette and all that, and, and I knew as soon as I heard that, that was bad. And all of a sudden, it didn't really matter who was going to win. didn't matter who was going to get up to the top first, bragging rights, all that kind of stuff. We were having a grand old time. All of a sudden, I didn't care about any of that at all. Because I knew that was going to be a problem. And of course, we, you know, we had to take care of it. You know, the flag had touched the ground. We, we had to have a, a flag burning the next day or the next week. You know, and it was a, it was a big deal. Because that, that flag had touched the ground. And all of a sudden, I, it, things went from being very happy, very joyful, to all of a sudden being very, very serious. Just in a moment. And there was certainly a lesson in that for me. And, and the, the question that I would have for you this morning is, have you, like, like I did, 
Have you gotten a little bit sloppy? Have you allowed the, the, the Christian walk to, th- to be a thing, you know, to be something that's, that's part of my societal, social structure? Just kind of what I do. But, but is it something that you are serious about? Has your salt lost its savor? Have you failed to take sin seriously? If so, allow this, this Jesus challenge here in this text this morning to work in your heart today. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to be serious disciples of yours. Lord, that we would take our sin seriously. Lord, that we would take the steps that are necessary to eradicate sin from our own heart and life. God, I pray for for if there is one here today who has never trusted Christ and Christ alone for salvation, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would become serious about their soul. Be with us now in this time.